0: You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Tuesday afternoon, everybody. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you here for the Tuesday afternoon edition of the show. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. That'll put you through to on the line today. We're taking your calls. We're taking your texts. Whatever's on your mind. We want to hear from you five takeaways so far from Auburn's preseason football practices we want your takeaways as well but before we get into it Lance how you doing today my man
1: doing great Noah how are you doing
0: I'm doing really well doing really well I'm glad the sun kind of came out today I know you got a tropical storm slash depression coming through the area relatively soon but pleasantly surprised to see that really no rain has fallen today
1: yeah uh, yesterday as we were wrapping up the show we were all just kind of looking outside because the bottom dropped out it was flooding and i i didn't I thought it would it would flood uh today as well because it was raining all night, but I'm glad that the uh, yeah, I agree with you. I'm glad the sun came out It was raining sideways
0: yesterday, Oops, as wow. Forrest Gump would say <laughs> so that that was uh that was an interesting period of time yesterday throughout our show and then even into the drive as well throughout that rain. But I'm glad to see that it has not, that the bottom has not dropped out today either. But let's get into our first topic of the show today five takeaways so far from Auburn's preseason football practices. And I can't take credit for this topic of conversation. I was on Bama Online, Alabama's 24 7 sports site. I was looking around at some of the articles that they had and. Charlie Potter, I believe, was the one who wrote the article on Bama Online that was essentially this title here, Five Takeaways So Far from Alabama's Preseason Football Practices. I said, hey, that's a fun exercise. Let's talk about this on the show from the Auburn perspective today. And so let's get into it. Five takeaways so far.
1: Each of us will give five. We'll probably have similarities in that group. But Lance, what's your first? I think my first, and this is not probably the most important And we may see this this narrative change, but based on what Mike Bobo said about Bo Nix, that feels like it was coach speak. That was one of my takeaways. What Mike Bobo said about Bo Nix this offseason was coach speak, and it was not 100% true. Because all we've heard this offseason is that Bo Nix is focusing on working on his mechanics, his decision making, staying in the pocket. And then from what we hear from this first scrimmage, he did none of those things correctly. So I expect him to continue to get better. Obviously, it was just one scrimmage. But based on what, what we understand, as of right now, what Bobo said about Knicks was somewhat coach speak because he hasn't progressed.
0: Do we know that, though? It's not like you and I were at the scrimmage. All you hear about is the two picks, but you don't hear about any of the good things. But he did
1: throw a touchdown pass, from what I've heard. He threw a touchdown pass, but both interceptions, based on people I've talked to, were on him. It was actually not the defense getting a turnover. Based on people I've talked to, it, both decisions were were his fault, and he it was it was built off of him escaping a clean pocket, specifically to his right. Well, of course, so, <laughs> as to be would expected, there be any other direction
0: than no. to the right? Still, I go back to though. I think that is a little bit of an overstep to go as far to say that he did not make any progression whatsoever based off of one scrimmage and that he didn't do anything right in the scrimmage. I'm sure he's done some things right, and people are quick to just harp on the negative things rather than to look at the individual elements of a quarterback's play, quick decision-making, footwork, arm angle, all of that good stuff. I- I'm sure he
1: was not completely looking worse or back to what he was last year. Sure, but at the same time, I'm saying that, that what, what Bo- Bobo said about him this offseason was coach speak. Cause after one so you're scrim- not buying it whatsoever. You, you don't think he's gotten better at all? I think, I think that there are definitely areas that he's had reps and that he's practiced based off of one scrimmage, though. It doesn't seem like he's really made any serious changes.
0: So what do you think that means? Just going along with your point here, and then I'll, I'll get to my first one. What
1: do you think that means for the other quarterbacks? Do you think this battle is close? I hope it's not. I hope it's not. I, I do, I'm, not saying, I'm not calling for Nix's job. I'm just saying that I hope that this quarterback battle is not close and that Nick's is going to continue to figure it out. I do I do want to see I want to see Finley and Davis get the reps that they they deserve. We talk about cross-training with this offensive line. I think this scrimmage it's not going to happen, but I would like to see them kind of cross-train, I guess, and what I mean by that is letting the second and third team quarterbacks cross-train with the first team just to see what they're made of. Because you know what you've got in Knicks right now. Let the let the quarterbacks behind them play a little bit with the first team just to see what they're made of.
0: My first takeaway here, and I'll just keep it with the quarterbacks. Maybe there was some coach speak there intermingled in a lot of what these coaches had to say about their players and in their progression and whatnot, but I'm gonna go out there and say that the quarterback battle isn't close right now. I'm gonna go out there on a limb and say that TJ Finley's really not actually he he's making Bo Knicks better. He is competing with him in the sense that he came into the room to provide competition and to provide an extra body there to work with him. But I'm not buying the notion that TJ Finley is actually pushing Bo Nix to the brink here in this quarterback battle because have we really heard any positive
1: things about TJ Finley? No, not at all. Some people, based on what we've heard, have said that D. Davis, with the third team, outperformed him. And...
0: Sure, you're going go up against the third string. You would imagine that he's going to look good against the third string. I would hope that he would look good. But yeah, like you said, some people have said that Demetrius Davis outperformed not just TJ Finley, but all of the quarterbacks. Here's my thing about Bo Nix. I think his job's safe. I don't think he's really getting pushed to the brink here by any of the other quarterbacks on the roster. I really don't trust any of the other quarterbacks on the roster at this point with the ability to make some of the throws and make some of the plays that Bo Nix has made in his career up to this point. I just think it's funny that people are quick, and I'm not saying that you are, but I think it's funny that there are people out there that are quick to forget about some of the good things that he's done just because of a few bad things here and there. he's still on average has winning football games and the scheme over the last couple of years has really not benefited him. And now I want to dive into the scheme a little bit more here and why I'm really not that concerned with what we've heard about the scrimmage on Saturday a the defense knows all the answers to the test here they know all the questions they know all the answers to the test right it had to be a very basic setup and they're still just learning the base offense in this new system for Bo Nix and the other players in it the defense is experienced they're pinning their ears back they know exactly what's going on they better be making these plays so that's a huge positive and I'll get to the defense as a takeaway later but I'm just not that concerned and maybe I should change my takeaway from the quarterback battle isn't that close to I'm not that concerned with some of the things that you've heard about the offense at this point because there is a new system being inserted and the defense is just getting to tee off right now right and that's how it should be at this time of year in the spring the second thing that I want to get to and we talked about this just a little bit on yesterday's show and I'm looking forward to talking about it more today I think there's a lot more responsibility on these quarterbacks in this scheme than there was under Gus Malzon's. And I said to you yesterday that, likewise, the offense did not provide Bo Nix with a a lot of opportunities to throw a ton of touchdown passes, to throw for a ton of yards, to elevate the team through the passing game. And you look at previous quarterbacks that have come in through the door. Bo Nix is not the first quarterback that we've seen that doesn't throw for a ton of touchdown passes. Jeremy Johnson didn't do it. Sean White didn't do it nick marshall didn't throw for a lot of touchdown passes jared stidham did it really but he had a ton of yards in 2017 took a step back in 2018 auburn's offense is not designed for its quarterbacks to be throwing three to four touchdowns per game and that's just the truth but while that may also be true on the flip side of that auburn's offense also wasn't designed for its quarterbacks to throw a ton of interceptions in in, in a way and we haven't talked about this a ton as a public and 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 the fan base hasn't talked about this a lot and it's something that's not really recognized the previous scheme kind of protected quarterbacks and really streamlined the decision making process to a one read look and if you it, it made it easier for quarterbacks to protect the football
1: this system may not have those same safeguards it may be a lot more wide open that yeah I I think that makes sense and it was something that you were talking about on yesterday's show is that you would prefer to have a quarterback like Corral that throws 30 touchdowns but also th- throws 15 or 14 interceptions because you're okay with the volume I'm not saying that's going to happen for this system but I agree with you in the in terms of it may be a little bit more open we've talked uh, that's something that's been another topic of conversation with Mike Bobo about how elaborate this passing scheme is and how many different options Nick's is going to have so while it may be true that Nix has not really had a ton of progression it also may be true that anybody would have a difficult time progressing based on what they've been doing in college and in coming into a more complicated system in just one offseason
0: and maybe change the word from progressing to performing at the moment maybe that one scrimmage shouldn't be the only indicator whether or not Bo Nix has progressed at this point based off of the parameters and the circumstances that we've talked about with a the defense knowing everything that's going on on the offensive side of the ball it's a new scheme new base system they're only really working on the base so that's why I would say performing at the moment maybe not where you would like to see it but progression he probably is learning and picking up a lot of new things that will make him better in a live game situation it is going to be a lot more wide open of course I would prefer it that Matt Corral or if I had a quarterback like Matt Corral I would prefer it that that QB didn't throw 14 or 15 interceptions because that's over one a ballgame. In some instances, that may be you know, 1.3 to 1.5 interceptions a ball game. That is a lot, right? And if you take the six interception game that Matt Corral had against Arkansas last year out of the equation, he was a lot more efficient of a quarterback, and he really protected the football really well outside of a few games, outside of really just two games last year. He protected the football well. I think that is a major critique of Matt Corral at this point. He does need to trim down on his interceptions, but if you you compare Matt Corral's touchdown to interception ratio to Bo Nix's touchdown to interception ratio, which quarterback is helping his team more in throwing the football at this point? It's Matt Corral easy. He may have doubled Bo Nix in interceptions, but he threw more than four times more touchdowns and a lot more yards as well. Pretty much doubled him on yards maybe even tripled him I don't think he tripled him he was doubled him on yards or a little bit over doubled him on yards I would much rather have that and just take the lumps with some of those interceptions especially considering I think the good is outweighing the bad there Bo Nix I need to see that now we haven't gotten to see that because the season hasn't started yet and if I haven't heard of better performances from Bo Nix in future scrimmages then maybe it's time to be worried but at this point after one I think it's way too early on especially with a lot of rotation at O-line and whatnot so I don't that's my first takeaway now's not the time to panic about quarterback I like I like some of the things that I've heard about the offense at this point I'm choosing to focus on some of those positives and and not really be concerned about the negatives yet because I think those things will work out but go on to your second one
1: I will say this just to be clear I'm not hitting the panic button I just want Auburn to be evaluating the situation I don't want this to go unchecked like you said two scrimmages three scrimmages in those same same mistakes still be there and then Auburn just roll into the season with with Bo Nix and then roll into Penn State and those problems come alive as they have on the road in the past but my second takeaway is the secondary is also going to be really good you talk about the defense having the answers to the test the secondary as deep as it is they 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 did what they should have in the scrimmage they balled out they played really well apparently Zion Puckett was one of the guys that got a pick um, a guy that we didn't think that was going to be a start a starter at all has worked his way up to that point and was balling out in the first team uh, with the first team during the scrimmage this secondary has so much depth if if Puckett is the starting guy I'm really excited about that because that tells me Auburn's got so much depth at that position and it's a unit that we've talked about a lot this offseason know about how good we think it could potentially be you talk about maybe the offense not performing maybe that was because the defense is just really really good
0: yeah I think the defense is a lot nastier this season that's my second point here or that's my second takeaway of Auburn's fall practices up to this point I think the defense is a lot nastier I think they're getting after the quarterback you talk about One of the interceptions that we were discussing with Christian Clemente yesterday, one of those rumored interceptions or reported interceptions, a lot of it came from the pressure of Colby Wooden off the edge, Derek Hall's getting in the backfield. There's just a lot being made about this pass rush at this point. That's exciting to hear about. Of course, you know about these linebackers being nasty. You have to be if you've got over 200 tackles. The secondary is, of course, very deep. I think this defense just has a whole lot more enforcers on it this year than it had last year these guys grew up over the offseason
1: yeah absolutely and then you talk about just th- this defense as a whole I guess I mean the defensive line I would say real quickly before we had to break here that would probably be my third point is not only is the secondary better but apparently the defensive line is good I I am not going to be as hard on the offensive line as most people have been because they are like we talked yesterday still trying to find those five but the defensive line did what they were supposed to do yesterday, and apparently Colby Wooden was just bawling out. Um, I, I expect this defensive line to also take a step forward as well.
0: The O line talking about there. I'll get to my third takeaway, and then we'll go to break. I think the O line is better, and we listened to Brian Harsin yesterday in an audio clip. If you missed yesterday's show, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. But I think listening to Brian Harson's comments about the offensive line, I'm not over here freaking out when I hear, oh, the O-line missed some blocks. Every single football game you watch, an offensive line misses blocks. It happens. You're not going to have a 100% perfect performance in a football game. Now, that's not great to hear, and then penalties as well but a coach is going to point out the negative things he's not just going to sit there and say yeah they were perfect they were 100 percent." and i don't want to hear that and I, and I said that on yesterday's show that i don't want a coach who's going to tell me at, at any point during the season until they have raised up the national championship that they don't have areas that they can improve on because once you bring home the natty trophy fine celebrate it then it's over but then get ready for the next season right and that's kind of the approach of other teams that have won national championships you're talking about Clemson you talk about Alabama those guys they they are harping on it throughout the season hence why Nick Saban coined the phrase rat poison right they don't want to put those positive thoughts in, in, in the idea that you can recline and that you've got it all figured out they don't want to put those thoughts in their players minds they want to put the thoughts of those players minds that they always have to improve and so I didn't take those comments about the offensive line negative at, negatively at all. You heard him say that they moved the football, that they ran block really well, that they were able to run the football. It's like, all right, that's a good thing because what is this offense built around? Running the football. And then the other side of it is rotation is hindering chemistry and communication at this point, but that is to be expected. You're rotating a lot of guys in and out getting a lot of new players in these different groups, whether it's with the ones or the twos, that is going to hinder chemistry and communication. With that being said, I imagine relatively quickly the cross-training is going to stop. They're going to have learned what they needed to learn through the first week and a half of fall camp, and they're going to say, all right, we're going to start dividing these guys up into groups. The hierarchy is going to start getting made. The depth chart is going to start getting made, and you're going to see guys start to work with the ones more, with the twos more, with the threes more. Look at what's going on at Ohio State. C.J. Stroud... Ryan Day didn't announce him as the starter, but he did announce him as the guy who's taking the lead and he's going to start taking more first team reps.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think that's interesting, especially because, uh, who was the, qu- what was the name of the quarterback that transferred in? Quinn Ewers. Not transferred in, but, uh, decided to skip his, uh, senior year of high school. Ewers. It's interesting that he, he made that decision. and We thought, that that was either potentially because of NIL or that he thought that he genuinely had a shot at the starting job. Kind of hard to do whenever you get into camp just a couple of months before the season actually starts. But uh, I, I've looked at C.J. Stratt. I've actually been watching just a, a little bit of his film just to kind of get a feel for him. I mean, he could be that next guy. I think he's definitely got the tools to do it. So if he's their guy um I've harped I've knocked rather on knocked Ohio State for their potential quarterback play this season saying that they could potentially be bad at that spot you go back and look some at the very small amount of film that you have on some of these guys and if Ohio State puts them in a good system I think they could perform
0: I'm not wrong I I don't think you're wrong there I don't think you're wrong at all I don't know what I said I'm not wrong well uh we'll take a quick break later on we'll come back we'll talk about cj stroud separating himself the ohio state quarterback competition i wanted to use that as an analogy there for the offensive line is like eventually guys are going to separate into groups the hierarchy is going to be made and then the communication and the chemistry that's going to build in whoever ends up being on that starting offensive line and i, and I think that should be starting pretty soon honestly they're back on the practice field today After the first day of classes, they're back today. I imagine it'll begin happening, if not today, very soon when those guys begin to get into the mix of who they are truly going to be working with. And that chemistry and that communication will build up. I think you heard some positive things about the offensive line coming from Brian Hartson. So we'll keep giving you our five takeaways from Auburn's preseason football practices throughout the show. We talk about the AP Top 25 poll when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama.
1: Lance, you got news. Yeah, I was just looking through Twitter here real quick. According to Field Yates on Twitter, at Field Yates, the Eagles have er, waived injured injured Carry on Jones. Apparently he was injured still and they decided to let him go. The way that the, way that the tweet reads is that they waived and then injured him. It was like they waved him and then, and then they injured him. It's like, no, you can't go to any other team now.
0: <laughs> this stinks for on Johnson because he's shown so much potential when he's healthy. The problem is I can't remember the last time in a regular season that I said on Johnson was healthy for the entire year. That hasn't happened for a
1: very long time. When was the last time that we could say that? Like even even in uh, 2017, he wasn't healthy.
0: Man, maybe his freshman year at Auburn. I mean, it's been a super long time for on Johnson and... It stinks because he's only done positive things when he stepped out onto the football field in the NFL. And even in last year's Madden, he was above an 80 overall. This year, I think they dropped him into the 70s, like, like 74, or 75, or something like that. I may be mistaken, but I think he got a drop or a reduction in his ratings. I was like, don't do the man like that. He's good. And I hate the fact that the Eagles aren't taking him because and maybe he's hurt and we don't know what the Eagles – Thought about and what variables went into this decision, how long that recovery is for Carryon Johnson. Obviously, the Eagles said it's not it's not worth our time to have to hold this roster spot for him. And and teams are there's only three preseason weeks now. There's only three preseason games that you get, and so the Eagles and other teams in the NFL have to sit down and have to make cut decisions a lot quicker with a lot less information, or maybe not a lot less, but at least one game's less information than he had in the past and you're trying to get down to a 53-man roster, mm-hmm. I'm not shocked with Kerryon Johnson's injury history. I mean, it, when I go to buy a car, I look at the car facts. When I go to get a running back, I'm looking at the injury history. And the guy has not been healthy at all in the NFL. I hate it because he's a good, he's a good running back, and honestly, he's one of my favorite running backs to have donned the orange and blue. I think he possesses a very unique skill set that really we hadn't seen combined at Auburn until he – at least in a long time we hadn't seen it until he touched the field back in 2017 to 2016 in a larger role namely 2017 for his breakout year I hate it though
1: yeah uh, Madden has him listed as a 75 overall this season 88 speed 89 acceleration he's got 93 jump which I would not have expected but you know talk about uh carry on's athleticism there yeah I, I agree with you it's really really sad we, I believe we talked about it earlier on in the offseason whenever he was actually brought on to the Eagles. Like, if he can stay healthy, he's actually got a shot in this running back room. I mean, outside of Miles Sanders, there's not really a running back on this roster that we feel like is truly better than carry-on, but injuries sometimes play a major factor in, 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 in a player's career, and I feel really bad for Johnson here. I hope that uh, he's able to recover and land somewhere else because he definitely is an NFL-caliber running back.
0: Number to call, 334-321-1390. The text line is at 334-564-1840. We want to hear from you, whatever is on your mind. Thoughts on five takeaways so far from Auburn's preseason football practices, as well as carry on Johnson getting waived by the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm sure somebody will take a shot on carry on at some point. This can't be it for KJ in the league. I will be extremely surprised. Somebody will be willing to to go and give this guy a roster spot he shouldn't be someone's number one but he should be able to find himself as a spellback and, and a receiving back in a lot of systems and if he can stay healthy and, and not have to shoulder a load like he did for a lot of his time in Detroit he'll be just fine and he could be a really good number two somewhere in the league if if Cleveland and of course I've got we've got Kareem Hunt locked down which is great next to Nick Chubb And we've got those two guys for the next two seasons. If Cleveland was looking for a number two, not just because of Auburn bias here or or any love there for former Auburn players, I would so want to see my NFL team bring him on as a number two. Not as a number one, because once again, injury history, you got to look at the Carfax, right? But I, I, I think that he would be a good number two, not having to rely on him. So let's look at some other things here. The AP Top 25 poll was released yesterday. We ran through that in its entirety we talked a little bit about takeaways before we got out of there.
1: What were your takeaways from looking at the poll yesterday? Well, like I said about the coaches poll, and I said this on yesterday's show, everybody's pre- pretty, they're ranked where I think they should be, at least the majority of the poll. Now there are a couple of issues I have here and there, but overall I think I'm very pleased with this first week, and I think, that, uh, I think the poll looks good, man.
0: Thoughts on the Sun Belt being the best group of five league? Because you look at, two teams ranked inside the top 25 that's more than the American Athletic Conference has at this point and one team that could find their way into the poll by the end of the year Appalachian State they've got a favorable schedule I still think they're just as good as Coastal Carolina and Louisiana Lafayette I imagine Lafayette probably will drop out of the top 25 after they lose to Texas in week one which I'm going ahead and calling my shot there I'm going to say that they do lose to Texas it's fine if you believe that they're going to beat Texas or push them because I think it will be a fun game to watch but I'm just going ahead and assuming that they lose let's say they get bounced from the top 25 there because you're going to really have an 0-1 Sunbelt team in the top 25 Appalachian State Coastal Carolina though really could hold serve for a lot of the season to get into the rankings and and stay in there
1: yeah honestly if you had asked me who I thought the best group of five conference was heading into 2021. If you were just asking me, like, what teams do you think would be in the top 25, like, as a whole from a conference, I would probably would have said the AAC. I probably would have said Cincinnati, UCF, could have potentially gotten in there. At some point, you could see SMU or Memphis. They're usually, over the past four or five seasons, they've been floating around the top 25. But, yeah, I, I'm really surprised that it is the Sun Belt. But whenever you start to look at this conference from top to bottom, like you said, you look at the top teams in the Sun Belt, they're pretty darn good football teams. Like, they are not they are not your typical Group of Five cupcake. And even their mid-tier teams, like Georgia State, I mean, like, I would much rather play somebody from the MAC, somebody from the AAC, if I'm Auburn, over Georgia State because you look at the production that they've got coming back and they've beaten an SEC team before in the past. Sunbelt's got it going on right now.
0: Coastal has a really good-looking schedule to be able to go undefeated if they don't drop to Appalachian State. But still, you get it. A potential of a 12-0 Coastal Carolina, an 11-1 Appalachian State. Lafayette's going to be right there in the mix as well, whether or not they're 10-2, 11-1. I mean, of course, they've challenged themselves with that Texas game to start, but there's some real there's some real oomph behind these teams, though, because Coastal Carolina was a good football team last year, and I don't think anybody's denying that. Lafayette beat Iowa State, who ended up finishing as a top-10 team, is a preseason top-10 team. I believe they're at 7 In the AP poll. And Appalachian State has been known to headhunt a time or two across some power conference teams. And they, since their jump to the FBS, have been consistently one of the Sun Belt's best. Truly, what makes this league really competitive with some of the other group of five teams isn't the fact that they're top 25 caliber teams at the top. Not not only do they have just one like the AAC, but they really have, you know, three that are really tough squads and honestly could beat a lot of the AAC. You look at that, but then you get to the actual the the meat of the league after the top three, and those teams aren't bad either. And you mentioned Georgia State; I think Georgia Southern still isn't an easy out. They're a well coached bunch. They could be looking at a six and six type of season. South Alabama is going to be pushing for a bowl game. Troy has been hovering around five hundred last couple of seasons. You look at the middle of the pack; that's still like not an easy out. I don't feel like I, I think the Sun Belt is really elevated its brand and when we were talking to jd Byers back in uh, we were talking to jd Byers last friday he said their tv deal provides a lot more money a lot more resources for these teams they don't have to go and take these buy games they can just go and play football and focus on getting bowl eligible they got some good squads
1: yeah offensively these teams know how to play whether it's running the football like georgia southern or throwing it around like arkansas state offensively they've got a lot of firepower
0: let's to do a quick break you're listening on the line Stay on the line. More
2: of the show when we come back.
0: Back on On The Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Tuesday, everybody. 30 minutes into the first hour of the show. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered once again. That's Sports.net. Continuing on with our five takeaways so far from Auburn's preseason football practices. Lance? Go on to your fourth one.
1: My fourth one was that while we heard about the run blocking, the run game was quiet, and I think that's a good thing. I think that is a very good thing that Auburn is not talking about their run game and how it could be improving because you talk about the difficulties that this offense is having. You talk about the difficulties that Nix is having in terms of just learning the scheme, all of these quarterbacks even. I think not discussing the run game i think that is a very positive thing because that means auburn can rely on that and lean on that and lean on tank bigsby uh throughout this season like you said this offense is going to be built around running the football and so for harson to not go out there and say yeah actually uh our running backs weren't hitting the holes very well and there's definitely some things that we need to clean up in the running game is a good thing the fact that it was quiet is a good thing
0: so looking at some other position groups here and i completely agree with you there. I look at the wide receiver position and I think to myself, man, those guys haven't been the problem. Fourth on my list here and my takeaway is the receiving, like that's been quiet and that's a good thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was something that I, I, I think there was a little bit that kind of came out about the receivers, but it was very, very positive about how they were actually coming along nicely and they were learning the offense and that they looked more comfortable than they did in the spring
0: let's head to the phone lines now 334-321-1390 Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer here with us on the Tuesday edition of the show Justin how you doing today my man
3: I'm all right how are you
0: I'm doing great we appreciate you taking the time to join us here on the show going through some of what's going on at fall camp here you're a good week and a half now since the beginning of fall practice a couple of Fridays ago what has been your overall takeaway so far from this offense that has created quite a bit of discourse.
3: Yeah, I think the big thing about the offense is that some of the areas where Auburn needs to be better at have, have had some really good reviews, namely wide receivers, um, you know, having a really strong <clears throat> camp so far, uh, great scrimmage it sounded like from that group that doesn't have a lot of returning experience. Offensive line still a work in progress, but it sounds like there's been, some, there's been some positives and they're going up against a really tough defensive front. Uh, especially in the scrimmages, which I think should be taken into account, and uh, the quarterback position, I think it's you know kind of held steady at what we thought it would be. Bo Nix ahead of T.J. Finley, and both of those guys having some good reviews, and you know in scrimmages having some mistakes and some errors, that uh, some inconsistent play that uh, is going to draw the attention of the uh, coaching staff. So I think offensively, I think Auburn fans should be the most pleased with the fact that the wide receivers sound like they're ahead. Um, of, you know, a lot more ahead of where they were, you know, even at the beginning of camp or especially back in the spring. And I think there's just going to be a lot of wait and see about the quarterbacks on the offensive line. And we will hear good things, and we will hear some not-so-good things about it, you know, until game time. And then, really, after the first couple weeks, we might not get a clear picture of what they look like until until week three and they go up against uh, uh, Penn State.
0: Zeroing in on this quarterback position and comparing the two different systems – And just follow me here for a second. You look at the Gus Malzahn offense, and you you see quarterbacks like Bo Nix. Sean White had it this way. Jeremy Johnson had it this way. Not the best touchdown-to-interception ratios. They weren't throwing for a ton of yards. The offense didn't really provide quarterbacks with an opportunity to throw up 3,000 yards, to throw for 30 touchdowns, to have these big years. I mean, the only quarterback who really did that was Jared Stidham in 2017, but also it protected them it seemed on the other side of the coin from throwing interceptions this offensive scheme seems to be a lot more wide open maybe not with as many protections but with the opportunity to throw up more yards more touchdowns and to make a greater impact on the scoreboard is that increase in responsibility something that you think Bo Nix is doing a good job of handling at this point
3: yeah, I think he's learning how to adjust to it. Um, I think he's done a good job of uh, improving some of the consistency issues he had with like his mechanics and stuff like that. But there's going to be a lot of it that we just, you know, put him out there in, in the offense. And when the bullets start flying, how are you going to react? And and doing that in a new offense is going to be interesting. Like I, I think this offense, the, the big difference is that it gives the quarterback more answers uh, when the defense does something. Um, you know, if bullets comes on this side. Here's where you throw the ball if the Uh, You know, if if something breaks down in the protection, here's where you go. If you're looking at this coverage, here's when you go. Now, there's a lot of answers and a lot more reads and progressions and stuff like that than what we've been used to seeing from the past game in the past. Now, all those weapons are really, really good to have, um, and those options are obviously positive, but you got to be ready to do it, right? Like, you have to, you know, uh, have the consistency and have the clarity of mind and have the calmness. I think, uh, you know, in the pocket, too, that when the bullets start flying, you do remember what you're supposed to be doing there and you don't panic and you don't force the ball somewhere where it doesn't need to be or you don't bail out of the pocket a little too early. And that's the thing. I think just going to be a work in progress with Bonex. I don't think anybody should expect him to just have all of his issues from the first two seasons completely wiped away now under a new scheme. So I think there was a lot of learning to be done from the first uh, scrimmage. Uh, the word there was that there were some interceptions, uh and there were some you know some bad decisions um through the air uh, from the quarterbacks but uh they were going up against a really good defense and a really stingy uh stingy secondary uh, on top of that so i think there was some good and bad and they you know the, they were armed with a lot of corrections coming out of 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 the first scrimmage and that's exactly what you want uh you know your quarterback to see even even in wins even in victories you want to see you know always want to be improving always want to find the stuff that you got to get better at and it sounded like they had a lot of material to work with uh, for Post specifically uh, and, and, and T.J. Finley as and, well um, coming, out of, coming out of that first scrimmage.
1: And you talk about that secondary, and Zion Puckett, I believe, was one of the guys that was able to get an interception. He was working with the first team starting at safety next to Smoke Monday. Were you surprised at all that Zion Puckett was starting for Auburn?
3: No, not at all. Uh, Zion Puckett's a guy that I've been hearing about a lot, really since the end of spring practices. I think people kind of forgot about him a little bit because – um, you know, he redshirted or, you know, he didn't play. I you know, actually can't remember if he actually redshirted or not. But, he, you know, working his way up from uh, being a guy who was a reserve, um, you know, people can kind of forget sometimes that he was a really highly rated player coming out of high school, um, a really top safety prospect. And, you know, in the spring, we didn't hear much from him because he was injured. Yet the word coming out of spring practice was that the coaching staff really, really liked him. And so even though they went and got Donovan Kaufman and by Darius Knight. Uh, who can play that nickel kind of safety spot? I'd always heard, you know, Zion Puckett probably the guy who's going to have a real chance to start, and it sounds like, you know, that could be the case. Now, I think Knighton is going to play a lot there as well. I think your top three safeties, quote unquote, could be something of Monday and Knighton and 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 Puckett and and um, Knighton has the has the advantage of being able to move around, and he's he's played a bunch of different spots. You got Donovan Kaufman, who we heard today has been playing more nickel. Which is interesting, and I think you know nickel dime. They're going to be they're going to use a lot of different dudes in the secondary. So I don't know necessarily if like getting hung up on who starts and who doesn't is going to be as big of a deal as like who gets the snaps. And I think that that Puckett's going to be a guy you see a lot this year. Um, You know, either way, even if he's not one of the first guys on the field against Akron.
0: What are we seeing from the rotation at nickel? Kind of diving into that a little bit more because going into fall camp. I think the name at safety that you didn't mention that we thought we'd see at safety, but we really maybe haven't seen a ton of, Ladarius Tennyson. See back at nickel? Nehemiah Pritchett apparently said earlier that he hasn't been playing nickel. But, like, what's going on at that nickel spot?
3: Yeah, the nickel spot is is uh, Donovan Kaufman and Ladarius Tennyson at this point. And, uh, you know, that, that seems like to be the, the, the good combination there. Uh, you've got a – in Tennyson you've got – uh, kind of more of a more of a slot corner kind of vibe to him um, uh, at the position, very quick, very shifty, uh, very explosive athlete. Whereas I think with Kaufman, he's more of the safety type that you want that third safety type you might want to nickel. And I think depending on the situation and the play call and the personnel, you're going to want to use both of them. And what happens if Auburn jumps into the dime and you beat seven guys out there in, in the secondary? I think both of those guys are going to be heavily involved. So, you know, I'll be very interested to see who starts between Kaufman and, and – and, um, and Tennyson at the nickel spot, but I think like the case is with Puckett and, and Knighton, I think those guys are just going to be used a ton. You're going to hear, um, you're going to hear them pretty frequently. Uh, it goes back to kind of the old thing we've heard from uh, defensive coaches in the past. It was a real big thing that uh, that Kevin Steele always said. It's like, you know, we feel like we have, you know, 17, 18 starters back there. We don't just have 11, and I think that's going to be very much the case um, in the secondary with Auburn this year, I think. You know, you might have five guys who are quote unquote starters on the depth chart, but I think you're going to be seeing you know nine, ten, eleven of those guys really, really contribute at a high level. And so I would expect at the nickel spot it would be it would be Kaufman and and, and uh, you know and, and Tennyson in some sort
1: of order. Scrimmage number two coming this Saturday. What do you expect off, from an offensive standpoint? Auburn to be doing obviously it's open to the public what do you expect to see and do you expect Bobo to put continue to put pressure on Knicks do we see Knicks make the same mistakes in the first scrimmage or do you think it's a little bit more vanilla a little bit more bland
3: well I mean first of all the 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 open practices until next Saturday and I think that's going to be more of a a, more of a practice than a a scrimmage and scrimmage is going to be Friday night uh during here the next one that they have and, yeah, I think that's going to be the interesting thing. How do you react to pressure? How do you react to um, the pass rush coming your way? Uh, because it seems like in that first scrimmage, that was something that was really effective. Guys like Colby Wooden were getting into the backfield. Derek Hall, T.D. Moultrie, Eku Liotta, Romero Height. I mean, you heard about a lot of those guys. Marcus Harris getting in the backfield and, and cranking up the pressure. And I think that's a big thing that Mike Bobo and, and Brian Harsin want to see from their quarterbacks is like, all right, when when the bullets start flying, how are you going to react? you Are going to make – good decisions are going to go with the ball where you need it to go. Um, and I think that's going to be a big thing uh, for them in this upcoming one. It's like, all right, we saw you, we threw you into the fire there. All right, what are you going to do now that we've learned and we've adjusted from that? Because I don't think the second I – mean, I, I don't think the defense is going to, you know, be less effective the more time goes on. I think they're only going to get better and better at cranking up the fast rush. So, I think, yeah, I think that's going to be an emphasis. Like, all right, we saw you make some mistakes and we saw you make some – some tough decisions with the ball in the first scrimmage, how much have you learned and how much have you adjusted? And that seems to be something that I think they're going to want to focus on because that ultimately is what's going to define how good this offense can be this year. We know Bo Nix has got a good arm. We know Bo Nix can, um, you know, scramble and and, and run and be a weapon there. There's no doubt about it. It's about the consistency that comes in the decision-making, and that's what they're harping on with.
0: Justin, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody about all your great content and where they can go to find it.
3: Yeah, com. check it out. They had a mailbag up yesterday. We're going to have practice notes here coming up tomorrow uh, tomorrow morning. So, you know, we, we talked to some players today. We're about to go see practice here in a little over an hour. Um, so there's going to be a lot of takeaways from that. Uh, which you'll get tomorrow morning at the Observer. Uh, if you sign up, um $6 a month or $60 a year. Everything we do uh, gets sent to your email inbox. And so you can read on your own time. It also comes with a couple of podcasts a week as well, and we'll have another one of those uh tomorrow uh evening so uh, check that out just for subscribers at auburnobserver.com
0: justin i appreciate it my man i hope you have a great afternoon
3: absolutely y'all too
0: that was justin ferguson of the auburn observer here on the line with us a lot of great takeaways there i love diving into football with him and especially in the x's and o's sphere because that guy knows about it all man and and the auburn observer is a great place to go and get that type of content where you dive into the x's and o's and into the brain of the Auburn Observer himself Justin Ferguson so once again just a, a great site there and a lot of great content coming from Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer let's take a quick break here when we come back we go back to our five takeaways so far from Auburn's preseason football practices Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you and the text line at 334-564-1840. Find us on Twitter, at point Gardner at Dahl Pound. And then our station Twitter handles, at ESPN 106.7, at Fox Sports 983. Thank you to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us in that previous segment we got about seven minutes until we head to the end of the hour break there and get you set for hour number two before we do so let's take a listen to what's on tv tonight take a look at what's on tonight it's the second quarter finals of america's got talent at seven on nbc also at seven but on fox i have absolutely no idea how this is going to work but the remaining teams on lego masters attempt to build their own puppet out of legos pretty interesting show though what these guys can build with legos and i wonder what that looks like once again with a puppet but you know movie selections for tonight adam sandler and the gang star and grown-ups on bbc at seven it seems like that movie comes on every night A baseball bat named Wonder Boy and a middle-aged rookie captivate the baseball world. What movie is this, you may ask? I hope you've seen it. The Natural is on FS1 at 6.30. Taking those survival shows on television to the next level, a lone astronaut is left behind on Mars, and he has to find a way to survive. Yes, Matt Damon stars in The Martian on FX at 7. Not really any good live sports tonight. NBA Summer League Championship on ESPN at 8 with the Boston Celtics against the Sacramento Kings that's about what you're looking at and that's what's on TV tonight
1: Day- Davion Mitchell that there is true go.
0: yes he did find himself into the summer league championship
1: it's for the Sacramento game. Kings Yeah, that's a potential flex game for him I'm that not, is I'll be tuning in
0: you laughed when I said that grown-ups is on every night it was like just about seems like
1: that one's on every single it night. it
0: is it really is I've seen grown-ups one I've seen grown-ups two it doesn't matter what the channel it is it seems like it's on every single night It's a summer movie,
1: and I like both of them, but it has been on on repeat all summer long. What's a movie that you wish would be on TV tonight more often?
0: Ooh, there's a lot of good movies out there from the early 2000s that I enjoy and then that late 90s period. I wish Braveheart was on more, but that is devoting four hours of your life to watching that movie on television because of how long it is. That's still a great movie. The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise in it, that's a great movie. I enjoy both of those. Those aren't on TV enough, but those almost, barring if it's not coming on at like 11 p.m., but if it's coming on at like 5, that might be drop what I'm doing watching on television.
1: Some good choices. Some good choices. Uh, it, It doesn't matter what movie it is. It just seems like there's always a Star Wars movie on as well.
0: Hmm. I don't know if I've gotten that. I don't know if I've I don't know if I've picked up on that. But Star Wars is something else that I would be like, yeah, I mean, if that's on TV, I'm probably dropping in and watching it as well. I'm watching a lot of TV shows, sitcoms lately at night. I'm either watching The Office or Friends. Reruns are always on with those two for yeah. hours on end. Yeah. So in the early afternoon I'm watching The Office and the late evening I'm watching Friends. Typically that's if I'm looking for just something quick before I go to bed or something like that. But before we get out of here, we got about four minutes left here in our number 1 AP Top 25 poll, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. We gave our takeaways. Now I want to get into who is underrated in this Top 25 poll and who is overrated. Not named Texas A&M cuz you and I harp on that a lot. Let's talk first about underrated. Give me an underrated team in
1: that Top 25 poll. I think underrated there are four different teams that I had my eye on. Texas wisconsin indiana coastal carolina i think texas is probably the most underrated team in the top 25 like i said on yesterday's show they're fairly ranked but i think they have a lot of upside in year one under sarkisian specifically on that offense i think it's going to carry over i think casey thompson is the answer defense is is it's going to be a big 12 defense but that offense man i think they definitely have the ability to win some shootouts against the iowa states the oklahomas it's not their talent level changed i mean like you've mentioned over and over on the show their recruiting classes have been exceptional
0: i like what you're saying there about teams like texas and wisconsin their finish point will probably be much higher than where they started at especially when you're talking about strength of schedule and opportunity to climb up the rankings texas at 21 is looking at like an eight and four football team and i think texas will be much better than eight and four and wisconsin looking at their schedule if they beat Notre Dame, you're looking at a team that could be 12 and 0 at the regular season's end, and then they've got to play Ohio State, of course, which has been the, the obstacle, the obstacle, the obstacle that they can't quite get past. Similar with Georgia and Alabama. I'll talk about another team that I think's a little underrated at this point, and it may only be by, I think it's by two spots. I would have Georgia if I was a voter. I would have Georgia at three in my preseason rankings, and they've got them at five. So, ooh, you know, big whoop, but. Still, I think that I mean by definition that is underrated. I want to go yeah. in a different direction than what you started with. With some teams that maybe could finish much higher. I think right out the gates, I would have Georgia higher than Clemson and Ohio State at this point. I think they've got a lot more figured out about their football team than those two squads do. So I do like that Georgia team a lot more maybe than Clemson and Ohio State at this point. And I expect them to be Clemson, but that'll get solved out if Georgia beats Clemson in Week One, which I expect them to. They'll be number three, maybe even number two going into week two of the AP poll that will change rather quickly
1: a team that is overrated not named Texas A&M I think there are two teams that I had in mind (laughs) one of them you could probably guess Notre Dame and then the other one as of right now LSU the reason I say as of right now is because this is a five and five squad that had one of the worst defenses in the entire country last season will they be good yes will they be top 25 I think they'll be on the the edge of it if not within the top 20 to 25 range, but I don't think they're a top 15-16 team right out the gates.
0: Notre Dame is in there for me as well, since you just touched on them. I will go or or you just touched on LSU, but we've talked about Notre Dame at length. They just lost so much on that offensive side of the ball. And I, I don't think Jack Cohn is the answer at quarterback to keep this offense, which lost everything but Kyron Williams at running back. I don't think that Jack Cohn, with his inability to push the ball downfield, I don't think if he I don't think he's the answer for Notre Dame this year. I think I could see him finishing at 15, but not inside the top 10. I think this is a squad that probably finds a way to lose three or four games this year, which will be the first time that they've lost that many since like 2016. They're typically on repeat, a 10-win football team, another team that I'm kind of selling stock with in the preseason. I'm not vibing with USC right now. I like Keaton Slovis, but I don't trust clay helton at head coach nor do i trust that defense something about usc just speaks eight and four to me every single year which still may be good enough to win the pac-12 south it typically is (laughs) let's take a quick break here hour number two on the way
2: you are on the line or toll-free at 888-382-7502. Hour number
0: two of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. 3 p.m. here on On the Line. 334-321-1390 is the number to call. Once again, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Whatever's on your mind, we want to hear from you. If you want to join into the show, that's how you call in. That's how you text us. Whatever is on your mind. Starting off hour number two here. Segment that I want to start throughout every day. Taking a look at some of the headlines going on around college football, around the sports world and whatnot. We'll call it making headlines here. So starting off hour number two with making headlines. And we said we would come back to talk about the Ohio State quarterback competition that has caught some national attention a little bit. C.J. Stroud, according to Ryan Day, the head coach, Apparently he's separated himself, and he's going to get more first team reps in the Ohio State quarterback competition.
1: Yeah, and it's surprising after Quinn Ewers made the decision to skip his high school, his senior year of high school, and come to the program. Some people thought it was maybe because uh, he wanted an NIL deals. Some people thought that it was maybe because he believed that he could get, uh, he could work his way into that uh, competition with Stroud, Miller, Kyle McCord, and obviously Ewers himself. But if Stroud has emerged as the front runner with about 18 days left before the start of the season, I would assume if he's the guy that they're going to feed more and more reps, they're, I'm not saying that he's the certified starter, but he's, he's on his way there.
0: There's no way Quinn Ewers takes C.J. Stroud, overtakes him in this, especially considering Quinn Ewers didn't get on campus until like a couple of days ago. I thought that was unique. That's, that's the area of this that I want to get into. Why would Ewers... Decide to reclassify and come in when there's no way that he's going to win this job.
1: I think he was banking on two things. He was banking on either Stroud, Jack Miller, and Kyle McCord just not being very good. Him coming in and just athletically being better than these guys, and not necessarily having to learn the scheme, but just being a better quarterback. Or he is still banking on maybe I'm not the starter, but maybe a game or two into the season they realize Stroud is not the answer. I've been working with the team now for a month or so, and then he would potentially get a shot.
0: Those are two pretty big ifs when you're right. talking about the former number two overall pro-style quarterback in in a, two classes ago. He's a redshirt freshman. I don't think we see Quinn Ewers finish his career at Ohio, at Ohio State. I like that take. I think he's
1: going to end up transferring. I just don't see how it works. Uh, CJ Stroud, I think, will work out. Was it a bad decision for Ewers to come uh, before his senior year of high school? Uh, I'm not
0: going to make conclusions on that or or say something like that about a high school kids um decision right um but i definitely i do want to point this in a different direction i want to shine the light on i'm trying to figure out where the playing time is where the snaps is because ohio state is that university where we have seen major log jams at quarterback i mean you think back to jt barrett braxton miller and cardell jones all being in the same quarterback room and if it wasn't for injuries. JT Barrett and Cardell Jones don't get opportunities right and then Cardell Jones ends up being the starting quarterback after he takes JT Barrett's spot comes back for the next season and is still the starter and JT Barrett had to wait another year before he comes back in to be the starter you know for yours that's it's a little bit different of a situation because a redshirt freshman is in front of him he's still got four years really just two until he can take the jump to the NFL, but still he's got a lot of time in front of him. C.J. Stroud very well could be out of there in a year or two, in a season or two, but right out the gates, he's a registered freshman, and he's going to be there for at least two seasons. Now, viewers may be comfortable with waiting a couple of seasons before he ends up being the starter, and if he is, then fine. I'm just not going so far out there that C.J. Stroud's going to end up busting because it's hard for an Ohio State quarterback to bust. Name at, least at at ohio- the college level yeah name an ohio state qb who's busted in college in the co- in college i can't think of one like can you think of a quarterback that they had to sit because they it's looked been like a really long time like they have not had a jeremy johnson situation and they're not going to you know why because they've got a great offensive line they've got a great running back and they've got great receivers and cj stroud isn't throwing to just one he's throwing to two potential first round draft picks this year and chris Olave and garrett wilson All right, this team is loaded around C.J. Stroud. Now, do I think C.J. Stroud will be free of mistakes and will look like Tua Tagovailoa as a freshman or as a sophomore? No, I do not think that will happen. I think that C.J. Stroud will have his fair share of mistakes and just enough mistakes to keep Ohio State from winning a national championship. But do I still think right now Ohio State is the team for the Big Ten to go to the college football playoff? Yes, yes, I do. I I I don't think that there's another Big Ten team that will overtake them. Now, Wisconsin will push them. But I, I still don't trust Wisconsin's offense enough to be able to keep up with and score with an Ohio State team. Ohio State should be able to score 28 or 30 points on Wisconsin. I don't know if Wisconsin with Graham Mertz can, can score that many against Ohio State because they, they don't. When they play Ohio State, they don't. And if they get to that conference title game, I, I don't see Wisconsin beating them. Now, could Ohio State be one loss going into that? Yes. Yes. Ohio State has lost to their fair share of Purdue's and Iowa's in just absolutely absurd ways and you know a two interception game from C.J. Stroud losing them a ball game is not out of the equation but that's not grounds for sitting the guy for Quinn Ewers and I think C.J. Stroud's going to be
1: there for a couple seasons now so you're leaving me out in the rain with Indiana you think that Indiana doesn't got a shot not even just a sliver of a chance don't they get Ohio State at home
0: they lost by a touchdown last year it'll be fun It'll be fun. I just don't think they're going to win.
1: Is it, it, I think there, sh- logically, that makes sense. I think there is opportunity, and again, you can't really base a lot of things on history, but if Ohio State is going to have their Purdue game this season, you could look at that matchup potentially and say that could be the game where they just – they lose by a ridiculous margin for whatever reason.
0: Or you could look in a different direction and say that Ohio State will get up for the ranked teams and – that's funny staying in the studio putting up a a dry erase board that we have in here says nine windiana i'm 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 vibing with it i vibe with it Uh, but you know what nine windiana means they either went eight and four in the regular season or nine and three and one of those three or four losses is to ohio state the reason why i i don't think that it comes to indiana purdue or iowa like game is because Indiana's going to be ranked when they play them they're going to get up for that ball game ohio state loses to some random team that's going to finish seven and five typically when that happens and it's because they didn't get up for it the other team just played out of their minds so I don't think Indiana's that team who is that team on their schedule I have no idea
1: sure sure absolutely that makes sense uh I I just I I do I do like my Hoosiers this season I'm not saying they're going to do anything crazy but they definitely have positioned themselves in a place to where they can
0: and you should like Indiana a lot and Here's my stance on Indiana. I view them very similar to how I viewed Iowa State for the last two seasons. Except Iowa State now has like twenty guys coming back, twenty starters out of twenty two or something like that coming back this year. And they're all like juniors and seniors, and they've reached that that upperclassmen age. And somehow the stars have potentially aligned for Iowa State to have this really good experienced football team. Indiana is still right now about sophomores and juniors. The Indiana team that you're looking at right now in that trajectory of one of those middle of the pack teams traditionally now, or Indiana's been bottom of the pack for a while, but now it's getting into that middle of the pack and upward trajectory. If I wanted to compare them to another team, I'm comparing them to Iowa State. I think that they're like the equivalent of last year's Iowa State. Good enough to push those good teams, maybe even upset them because Iowa State did beat Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma's a less complete team last year's Oklahoma a less complete team than this year's Ohio State team they're going to get there and maybe be a nine and ten win team but I don't think they're quite
1: ready yet to compete for Big Ten title game type of implications I know we're kind of going down a rabbit hole here but just really quick question who do you think has more of an opportunity to upset Ohio State in the Big Ten East Indiana or Penn State Ugh. And I'm not trying to for you to just get on the Indiana hype train just cuz I am I'm genuinely curious. Cuz we've talked about how bad Penn State was last season. Uh, they have the opportunity to kind of build on just the fact that they're just such a talented program from a recruiting standpoint, but also there's Indiana with so much returning production.
0: That's such a tough question because I think Penn State re- obviously they recruit better. That that's right. not I think I know that. Right. There's should be more talent in the walls of a Penn State athletic facility than or a Penn State football facility than an Indiana football facility, right? So talent-wise, but has that, for some reason last year, you know, and they did, it was an overtime game against Indiana. It was very close, and it took that two-point conversion and that epic play at the pylon for for Michael Penix Jr. But I think Penn State, talent-wise, is better than Indiana. But as a team, and in terms of, like, their approach and their discipline to the game of football – indiana may be the better like football team when they actually step out there on the field you know as a group and as a collective i just am so there's just something about saying indiana's going to finish second in the big 10 it's just it's doesn't tough sound right, right no it <laughs> doesn't and for them to like follow up what they did last year they're not catching anybody off guard this year that that's not yeah. happening people know about them and so now are they actually good enough to do it and or these other teams also who maybe didn't hit the ground running like they wanted to last year due to the coronavirus penn state one of those teams now do they hit the ground running or are they better than where they were last year i don't trust that offensive line i don't trust who they've got a quarterback with clifford but their defense isn't half bad and their receivers are pretty good that's such a tough question you're asking me who would be more likely to overtake ohio state yeah i'll take penn state i'll say it's more likely that penn state hits the stars than indiana does i think indiana's peak potential is nine or ten wins, and they can't get past that. I think that is their team achieving their max. Penn State's max with their talent in the locker room is going to a Big Ten title game. Will they hit that? No, I still think Ohio State wins the division, but a team more likely to do it, I'll take Penn State.
1: What you said about Indiana in terms of they've kind of hit their ceiling, they overachieved, can they repeat, and also there are these other teams in the Big Ten that are so talented from a recruiting standpoint that are recalibrating after what was a weird 2020. It was exactly what I was trying to say whenever we were doing our in on the fence or out with Wisconsin, Miami, and Indiana. I think those were the three teams we were going through. And I said I was out on Indiana. I'm still really high on them, but that was my reasoning is that I'm just so afraid that you know talent wins out, I guess.
0: That's fair. I don't trust Miami either at all. They have a far easier schedule. So it's, I guess, win total-wise, it's easier to be on the fence about Miami. I just don't like Miami at all from a defensive standpoint standpoint or nor do I trust Rhett Lashley calling plays on offense I still don't trust that I I, I think you look at the big games last year and Miami's offense is still not good against good teams and against good defenses but they don't have to play good teams with good defenses other than North Carolina that's it and so it's coming down to one of those two teams in the coastal unless someone else shocks let's bounce around to another headline here in our making headlines segment Mark Stoops named Will Levis the starting quarterback for Kentucky on Sunday basically Sending it out there for Joey Gatewood to be able to transfer in time, to be able to go and find another place to play. That's why I named it so early. Also, I don't know if you saw the TikTok or the video of Will Levis and how he eats bananas. The guy ate a banana with the peel still on it. Yeah. And it was like brown.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't wanna I don't wanna hate on anybody or any region of the country or anything like that, but uh moving from Penn State to Kentucky, it's changed him a little bit apparently
0: that is wild
1: that's, I, I it's I I can't imagine doing it but if that's his thing if that's what Levis wants to do is just eat the banana with the peel on it go ahead <laughs> I, I say roll tide to that come on with it
0: all right well talk to me about him being named starting quarterback for Kentucky is this the arm that UK needs to finally stop running the ball
1: 75% of the time? I think whenever you ask, is it the arm? I think the answer is yes. You look at an, another guy in Bo Allen who could have potentially gotten the job. Joey Gatewood, obviously, I would probably probably say is the strongest quarterback out of all, all three of those guys, but I don't know if it was there mentally for Joey Gatewood. What I mean by that is I'm not saying he's stupid. I'm just saying the decision-making there, maybe there and the reads were not up to where Mark Stoops wanted it to be, right? so i think will levis along with his dual threat ability he was able to run a little bit during his time at penn state as well he's definitely got the arm you talk about tiktoks i believe there were some tiktoks that surfaced of will levis just a few months ago at some training camp and he he throws a beautiful spiral like mechanically this dude is sound so i think it is the arm for kentucky now is he going to be anything special anything over a game manager i don't think so but it, i think it is the guy that will keep that offense balanced somewhat i think
0: moving around tim tebow was released by the jacksonville jaguars as well as you mentioned earlier in the show reminding everyone carry on johnson waved by the philadelphia eagles earlier today or really not that long ago that tweet was from like 30 45 minutes ago but tim tebow released by the jacksonville jaguars
1: yeah and it's really it's it's for for a fan of him it's disappointing to see, but honestly, did we expect a whole lot more? Did we expect him to like play the entire season or be a, a huge factor for Jacksonville? I don't, I don't think so, and a lot of people, and I'm not going to get too into it, a lot of people were upset whenever he was signed to Jacksonville for various reasons. And now they're hating on him, and, and now, I'm like, step now, back, and man. And now they're hating on him, but you, you all said that he was going to get cut anyway, and even I was like, yeah, he's probably not going to do anything special. Let's just let him enjoy the moment let him be a coach. Essentially, let's not hate on the guy. He's a great player, great athlete, great person. Just, just let it happen. I think
0: it's another evidence of the the cesspool that is social media, and stepping out into it and, and really going to the depths of the way that people could just hate. Yep. And it, it bothers me, man. Like I, I'm telling you, if social media wasn't such a big part of the media industry. I probably would abstain from it completely. It is an absolute cesspool when you step out there and you see some of the things that people say about others. And it's like, all right, man, what are you doing with your life? You know, this guy obviously is a super athlete and he's doing something that many folks wouldn't have even been able to get back out there. You know what I mean? I mean, I, you talk about his ability to climb through the ranks of minor league baseball and he wasn't half bad in the minors either. And. Uh, understandably so he should not have made it to the mlb and when he got to triple a and it did not go well in triple a that was the end of it but he did something that other people would not be able to do going through going through the minor league system i mean you're still a very good baseball player he's just an athlete
1: just a really talented athlete
0: and you know maybe this is the it of his uh, maybe this is it for his athletic ventures at this point this probably does spell the end i would imagine in terms of where you're getting to with his age and whatnot and I don't know what other opportunities may be out there, but this probably is it for, for that, and we'll probably get used to seeing him on SEC Network again as football season rolls around and whatnot. Staying in the NFL here, last headline before we go to break, Cam Newton said on Monday that Bill Belichick hasn't told him if he'll be the starting quarterback for week one, even though throughout draft season and early spring, Bill Belichick said that Cam Newton was the Patriots' starting quarterback.
1: I am a little surprised, and at the same time, I'm not. When you watch Mac Jones' spring game, it was better from a consistency standpoint than a lot of other rookie quarterbacks that have played over the past week or so. And you and I broke it down. I saw a couple different plays where I thought his accuracy was an issue, but in terms of timing and his accuracy, accuracy overall, he seemed a lot to be a lot more consistent than other rookie quarterbacks. New England's system is kind of built around that dink and dunk offense where you throw, you you throw a 4-yard underneath route or a 4-yard out route. You do that 3 times it's a first down and you can tear up defenses doing that. I think Mac Jones absolutely absolutely possesses that and then I think he's got the arm strength to throw the ball downfield and you talk about timing, the deep ball that he threw or at least the two deep balls that he threw. I mean, it was it was on point. So he's definitely got a shot at that quarterback spot. Cam Newton um you know it's just kind of been a downward trajectory since that mvp season and a lot of it has to do with injuries i would not be shocked to see mac jones take over the starting job at some point during the season i'm not saying i'm not saying that we should just about expect it but i'm saying that there's a very good possibility
0: who do you have more confidence in to beat the miami dolphins who had a very good defense last year and brings back a lot of that defense this year who do you have more confidence in under center to win that game against Miami in week one do you have more confidence in Mac Jones or Cam Newton
1: I'd throw Mac Jones out there unless it was a goal line package in which case I'd probably let Cam get in there just to see if he can run one in from a couple yards out
0: If it was a couple of other teams on the Patriots schedule I would say I feel confident with Cam Newton but unfortunately the Dolphins Patriots rivalry if that's even what we want to call it the Dolphins Patriots history though the Dolphins typically give no matter how bad the Dolphins may be they typically give the Patriots a crazy game and a good game at that and that's a very good defense and i'm not so certain that cam newton will be able to score more than 17 points against it which may not be enough to win which may not be enough to win that ball game my miami only having to score 20 i, I can see that against the patriots defense so i might say that we could be looking at an alabama reunion at quarterback and see mac jones take on Tua a in that week one game which would be very fun to watch from a storyline standpoint and also i i Yeah, I mean, still staying with the storylines aspect, not just because it's Alabama, but because it's Mac Jones getting his first start in the NFL week one. And I think he gives the Patriots the ability for more diversity in their offense. You don't need to have a quarterback that runs the ball well in order to win football games in the NFL, but you do need a quarterback that can push the ball downfield and Cam's not showing the ability to do that. The average depth of target for Cam was like less than a yard ahead of the line of scrimmage in like that preseason game. Yard. Yeah, and Matt Jones was at least like seven and a half yards down down the field, which is actually, you know, when you average all of your throws out, that's actually pretty far. That that is pushing the ball vertically rather than staying at the line of scrimmage. And Cam wasn't doing that for whatever reason. I don't know if that was a factor of play calling and whatnot, but Cam, I don't think at this point in his career showing that. With as much efficacy as Mac Jones should be able to at his age. And it's just a difference in age and a difference in health. And Cam may be fully healthy right now, but he's, you know, like almost a decade older and with a lot more injuries on his, on his track record. He's, he's a lot more grizzled, a lot more seasoned, you know?
1: Yeah. And, and I think if you do give Mac Jones, let's say, half a season this, this year, I think you do see progression. And he, I think he continues to do all the things that he did really well in college, which is ball placement, timing, and just making decisions, making the right decisions. I don't think New, New England's offense is going to be crazy special. but And I'm not saying this kid's Tom is going to be Tom Brady, but they should be able to move the ball a little bit better than they have been able to under Cam.
0: Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we wrap up our five takeaways from Auburn's preseason football practices. I give you my fourth And Lance and I will also give you our last one of that top five. We'll be back in just a moment.
1: Masks aren't the only way to help reduce the transmission of COVID-19. Wash your hands often to minimize the spread of many types of germs and diseases. Apply soap and scrub for about the time it takes to sing ESPN 1067 is my
4: favorite radio station six times. Dry with a paper towel, then use it to turn off the faucet and open the door. If soap and water aren't available, then use an alcohol-based hand sanitizer. For more helpful advice, ask your mother and stay well. A healthy tip from Auburn Network.
5: Hey sports fans, this is Jeff Myers, senior pastor, First Baptist Church of Opelika. Well, it has finally come to that time of the year. It is football season. Whether you're excited about high school football, college football, NFL football, even if you like the Canadian League, we know that football is right around the corner. But with all of that excitement, one of the great coaches of all time passed away just recently. That's right, Bobby Bowden. Two-time national champion, Florida State University, a man who was probably known as a greater man than he was a coach. And today, I want to leave you with one of the great Bobby Bowden quotes. He said, reputation is who people say or think you are. Character is who God knows you are. So today, let me challenge you not to just be a person of great reputation, but to be a man of great character. And we know that good, true, biblical, righteous, holy character can only come through Jesus Christ. How about today? We worry about character and not just reputation. Y'all have a great day.
6: Hey, this is Steve Witten, Vice President of Auburn Network. As you know, Mike Lindell of Pillow has a passion to help everyone get the best night's sleep of their lives. And he didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Mike also created the new Giza Dream Bed Sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for you. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. Mike's Giza sheets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Take it from me, the first night you sleep on the Giza sheets, you will never want to sleep on anything else. Giza Dream Sheets come in a variety of sizes and colors. Mike is making a special offer for listeners right now. You'll receive two for one low price, plus free shipping. Sleep well. Call 800-854-0159 and use promo code BAMA or go to MyPillow.com. Make sure you use the promo code BAMA, that's B-A-M-A, at checkout. MyPillow.com. Use promo code BAMA at checkout. This is Scott Backwell. Catch the Auburn High School Tigers this Friday night as they kick off the season hosting Park Crossing. Pre-game 6.30, kickoff at 7, only on Wings,
5: 94.3. Presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Jeffcoat Trant, and Southern Union. Also brought to you by Russell Building Supply, South State Bank, and Gouge Performing Arts Center. On your home for Auburn High School football. Give
2: them six touchdown Tigers.
5: Wings, 94.3. Part of the Auburn Network family of stations.
0: Back on On The Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 1067 in Fox Sports, Central Alabama. Phone lines are open. 334 321 1390 is the number to call. Once again, 334 321 1390. Text line at 334 564 1840. If you're on the go and you want to give us a quick message, 334 564 1840. 1840 had a fun show today so far we just did our making headlines segment took a look at some of the headlines around the sports world bounced around from Ohio State quarterback competition with CJ Stroud separating himself in that competition to Will Levis apparently not peeling bananas before he eats them that's gross Will Levis named the new starting quarterback for Kentucky Tim Tebow released by the Jags Cam Newton still not not aware if he's going to be the starting quarterback or not for the Patriots come week one Atlanta Braves doing what they need to do to continue to stay atop the NL East. They clobbered the Miami Marlins yesterday, 12-2. After that jarring loss to the Reds at the end of that series, the Atlanta Braves came right back and won some ballgames.
1: Yeah, like I said uh, on, on Friday, I believe it was, I was like, yeah, you were asking me, what, what was the loss? I was like, it was surprising and it was painful. And it's like, it's really nice to see this team bounce back and then just destroy another team like the Marlins, just turn right back around, get right back on it. And, uh, you know, this team has kind of taken control of the division and I would love to see them hold on. And seeing them go and beat a team 12-2 to uh, gives, me, gives me optimism that that is a possibility.
0: Five takeaways so far from Auburn's preseason football practices. Let's wrap that up right here. Going back to my fourth point, we didn't talk about it a whole lot. The receivers, I think, have improved dramatically from what we were looking at back in the spring. So that's a great thing. And then we'll get to our fifth on that list. In just a moment, we're going to head to the phone lines here 334-321-1390. We got a caller on the line with us. I believe we've got JR with us. How you doing today? Hey, doing good. Caller from Mobile. Uh,
3: Go for it. I got a question.
0: Lance is on
1: here, right? That's
3: right. I, I read an article he put out that said three losers. I just wanted to know where did he hear Harson say Bo Dix threw three interceptions?
1: Well, he actually he threw he threw at least two. Now, there are some sources out there that oh, I've okay. said he thrown. put three. Yeah, I put three, but it, there are some sources. At the time, the only sources I had seen had said three. Uh, I talked to some people, and it was at least two in the scrimmage is what I've heard.
3: Right. If you listen, he said he there was some interceptions, but I heard from other like uh, Justin Hoxton and all them that that there was only a couple for him. But then one of them was he was so under duress, he just had to get rid of the ball or whatever. But I don't know. I'd probably fact check before I go putting it out there on paper. Appreciate it.
0: That was Jr. on the line with us here on ESPN 106.7 Seven at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Appreciate the call, Jr. All the way from Mobile. Yeah. All the way from Mobile hey call back we appreciate it 334-321-1390 text line at 334-564-1840 and yeah I mean there's a lot of there's rumors out there with the with the interception total two three and we heard Harson in the press conference we played the audio it was he did say a couple was what he said but uh but he didn't he didn't say who either though he didn't say Bo Nix through a couple I don't yeah. think So, but moving on, let's go back to five takeaways so far from Auburn's preseason football
1: practices. And let's get a fifth on our list here. My fifth is that regardless of whatever happened in the first scrimmage, there should not be any overreactions simply because it's only been one scrimmage and I don't think we're going to truly know what this football team looks like until they get out on the field.
0: I think that's fair. I'll add to that. My fifth one, just kind of linking that together a little bit, I think spring is going according to plan. I think they're on schedule. I have not gotten any type of feeling internally that things are not, and based on what you hear, how the coaches have talked in their press conferences, namely Harson back this past Saturday, and just looking at what he said in his press conference alone, I do not get the vibe that this coaching staff feels like they're off schedule. If anything, I feel like the way that they talked about the receivers and how they've now they're leaps and bounds in front of where they were in the spring and how they are that they, they took it upon themselves to go and work hard in that off period in the summer where the coaches couldn't be out there but the players got out there to see the receivers be out in front like this. That's a positive. I think the offensive line he had some good things to say about that. Quarterback play, of course, that is going to need improvement throughout fall camp and whatnot. But learning a new system, I don't think that. I don't think this is out of any realm of the, I I don't think that this is abnormal whatsoever, what we've heard on the offensive side of the ball. And, And the defense is exactly everything I've wanted here. And what I expected to hear is them going out there and dominating. So got 30 minutes left in the show. Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports joining us on the other side of this break.
2: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
0: 30 minutes through the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Lance, I know you've got something that you want to add back to the call from JR earlier. I want to let you elaborate on it.
1: Yeah, I wanted to to at least explain why I put Nick's in the article and why it says three. Because some sources said three, some sources said two. It doesn't matter whether or not he threw three, he threw two, he threw fifty JR. All that matters is that he was Turning the ball over, and he was not making good decisions, according to Brian Harson. And that's all I wanted to say. I wanted to say that's the reason why I put him on the list. He was turning the ball over. Doesn't matter if it was three, doesn't matter if it was two. It's not like there was a huge discrepancy between one literal interception. If he was under duress, that's fine. But from what I've heard, he was making those throws of his own accord rolling out when he shouldn't have, and he was, ma- he was miscommunicating with the receivers, and the two turnovers that he had, at least the two turno- turnovers that he had, he was it was of his own volition, and it was a mistake that he had made. Headed back at the phone lines now,
0: 334-321-1390. We got Gray on the line with us. Gray, how you doing today? I'm great, Noah. How are you? Doing good, my man. What's on your mind? Uh, I was. Uh,
4: I'm calling to... Kind of put it into the little questionnaire there because I was actually at the scrimmage on Saturday. My grandfather is a letterman, and my dad and I went there with him. He uh, both threw two interceptions. Um, the first one was a uh, pocket collapse, bailout out to the right, throw on the run where he should have thrown it away and threw it into double coverage, and Jalen Simpson picked it off. Um, the second one was a miscommunication with the receiver on the left side. And he threw a go route, and the receiver cut in. I forget which receiver it was. I think it may have been Kobe Hudson. Um, and Nehemiah Pritchett picked that one off, and Smoke Monday could have picked it off as well. They fought over that interception. Um, so, yeah, Bo did not, you know, show out or make any good impressions. Or And, and neither did Finley. You know, Finley had a nice touchdown pass, but – you know, not, nothing crazy. He also missed on some throws. Demetrius Davis looked absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, but then again, he was going against the, the, the free team defense. Uh, the defense, the first team defense looks nasty. I, they look as improved as you can get that defense. Defensive line looked great. The offensive line is struggling. It, I, I, I don't even know what to say about what happened on the offensive line.
0: How did they look running the ball? I'm just curious about the O line uh, in terms of that because Harson did seem like he had some good things to say about running the football.
4: Yeah, yeah. Especially, especially the, you know, I don't know what offensive line was blocking for uh, Jordan Ingram and Sean Jackson, the walk on. Um, but those two ran the ball really, really well. And, you know, we're not trying to get Tank hurt as much. So they didn't run Tank as a lot. They didn't really run Shivers a lot. Um, but running the ball looked great. Um, but that pass protection, the pocket is just an instant collapse, and blitzes are getting there really, really fast.
0: I hope that's an indication of uh, of good defensive play, not necessarily a horrible offensive line. I'm still going to hold out for hope that the communication and the chemistry will build as they uh, get yeah. more of a, a lined out first first unit. You know, they don't they don't have that just yet. But uh, great, we appreciate you taking the time to call in. Don't be a stranger, my man. I think this is the first time you called into the program. Be yes. sure to come back, my it bud. Is. All
4: right, thanks, Noah
0: that was gray on the line with us and uh i think that's it i think we actually lost our second caller there but that was gray on the line with us appreciate it gray for calling in if you want to call in 334-321-1390 is the number to call and we're working on getting jeremy law of radio alabama sports on the line with us just a moment so we will have him calling on in just a second but We need to wrap up our five takeaways so far from Auburn's preseason football practices. Before we had a call last segment, we were saying that it's going according to plan. And I don't know, Lance, do you agree with that? Do you think it's going, uh, do you think they're on schedule at this point?
1: I think they are overall. Now, in terms of the quarterback position, again, my point was not it was two or three. I'm concerned that he is continuing to make mistakes. Now, will that continue to happen throughout the scrimmage? Like we've talked about on the show before, I don't know if it's going to happen. But I will say this: I think everything else outside of that is somewhat going to plan. The defense obviously is on track. The offensive line, uh, like Gray mentioned, there uh, is it definitely needs needs some things that it that it, it needs to work on some things. I think also part of that is the fact that they're trying to find their starting five and that they're just rotating guys in and they're trying to figure out how to get five of these guys to gel and to gel well i think the running backs are playing fine i think the receivers are still slightly ahead of schedule i think that's great the quarterback spot is the one thing that concerns me but i do believe that's going to get better so yeah i'd say that they're on pace
0: let's head back to the phone lines here 334-321-1390 jeremy law of radio alabama sports with us now jeremy appreciate you waiting for us here alabama crimson tide fall camp how you doing today my man
2: doing well guys you're the only two guys i would wait on so just uh, <laughs> glad to be on the show you know there's nothing like the uh message boards the couple days after the first scrimmage another you know, going wild for both teams a lot of fan bases with high expectations so let's just dive into it
0: well alabama's fall camp on that side of things are I, I'm, I'm sure people are, are are pleased with what's going on in the alabama camp and nick saban of course always is just going to give you three or four sentences and on any question that you ask him at this point because you don't want to allow the proliferation of rat poison but what are some of your takeaways of the the scrimmage so far for Alabama
2: it looked like Alabama had a couple guys out on the offensive line I think Auburn had the same I don't think Evan Neal participated Kendall Randolph messed up his ankle Um, but I just think overall that it was a it was a good showing um, from Bryce Young uh, a couple maybe three touchdown passes from uh, what I'm hearing he uh Looked to throw the ball well, and he's throwing it up against a really good defense. He had to deal with a little bit of pass rush. Paul Tyson didn't look bad. I think overall a good scrimmage, a lot to work on, some young receivers that everybody's really excited about for this Alabama team. Had a chance to step onto the field, JoJo Earl, Hall, Corey Brooks, a lot of people excited about those three guys. So I think overall a good scrimmage, a long ways to go, just like every other team in the country, but I think that – Alabama probably is right on schedule a little ahead of schedule of what they thought they would be after a first scrimmage and they're going to go into this week and try to work the kinks out
0: what will be the most dangerous element of this offense and dangerous in terms of the offense here I mean in a good way what will be the most dangerous element of this offense for opposing defenses here at 2021
2: well I think after the first scrimmage a lot of people learned that uh, maybe Trey Sanders is going to be a lot healthier early on in the season Um, than a lot of people thought he would. So that just adds a tremendous amount of depth to an already deep running back room when you talk about, um, you know, uh, Brian Robinson on top of Trey Sanders. I think you had Jason McQuillan, and then you can roll down to true freshman uh, Kamara Wheaton, um, Roy Dell Williams. I mean, there's just tons of guys in that running back room, but when you add a former top recruit in the country and Trey Sanders coming off that bad car wreck, if he can get things going... This Alabama running back room is going to have tons of depth. I think Sanders, uh, McClellan, and um, Brian Robinson are all really good pass catchers. You should see Bill O'Brien take advantage of that. But they were really excited about Sanders last year. Um, got a little banged up, had the car wreck, and then obviously that ended the season. But they'll be really ecstatic to have him back in the running back room. And I think especially early on, that's going to be the bread and butter. It's going to let Bryce Young gel into this offense because you got to realize – he spent a lot of time. When he came in, a lot of times the ones would come back on. You know, I think he threw a touchdown pass to Devontae Smith late in that game against Kentucky. He was throwing to John Mechie. And so, I mean, like he'll still have Mechie, but Waddle and Smith are gone. He's going to work a lot of those young guys into the offense early as well. So that run game is going to be something that Bryce Young can lean on and still a really good offensive line. I still think Nick Saban um, loves Kendall Randolph. He, probably hates that he had to miss a scrimmage that would be very valuable for him at right tackle because he was playing that tight end that extra heavy set tight end down on the goal line packages I think Nick Saban wanted him to get those scrimmage reps so depending on how quick Kendall Randolph can get back going um, you may have could have seen you know J.C. Latham right there if Randolph can't get going or the, there was one of the Brockermeyers step in especially well obviously it'd be Tommy but you know there's some guys that can play that right tackle role, but I think this coaching staff is excited about Kendall Randolph, who um, is the younger brother of Levi Randolph, the former basketball player at Alabama.
0: Same question, but about the defense here. What will be the most dangerous element of the Alabama defense?
2: Uh, Listen, it's the linebackers group. We've talked about this. Um, You know, Auburn's got two really good uh, linebackers in the middle. Alabama's pass rush combined with Chris Harris, and um, Henry Tolo And even if it was Jalen Moody this year, I still think that that would be the absolute strength of that defense. Nick Saban said he's got eight or nine guys that can rotate in on the defensive line. Um, Justin O'Boyby says today how much he loves Tim Smith and what he's bringing to the table. You know what you get from D.J. Dell and Phil Mathis. Man, that front seven for Alabama is going to be tough to deal with. And if there is a weakness, and I'm not sure that the DBs are a weakness but um, that, that, that front seven is going to give them a lot of cushion that they might need early on in the year. So that Alabama defense and those linebackers and that pass rush with Anderson and Allen, that's just going to be tough for a lot of teams to deal with.
1: When you look at Alabama's scrimmage as a whole, and obviously I know you said that they've still got some things to work on, how confident are you as a fan, maybe compared to some other teams in the SEC like Georgia and Auburn, as we were just discussing some issues during their first scrimmage and some kinks that they're having to work out? How confident are you compared to some of these other SEC teams?
2: They're going to be at the top up there with Georgia. I think Georgia's going to look really good, but. Who does Georgia have to throw the ball to? Was it um, Eric Gilbert, they said, walked out of practice or something at Georgia? A lot going on. Pickens is still a little banged up. I mean, JT Daniels is going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the country as far as talent, but, I mean, he might be searching for some guys to throw the ball to. Uh, The the cream of the crop in the SEC is going to be the cream of the crop in the SEC. Um, I think Alabama's defense is going to, if anybody has questions about Bryce Young or that offense, the defense is going to be able to help them out along the way. I still think Bo Nix is going to get better and better the more reps that he has under his belt. People are mad about um, scrimmage interceptions for Bo Nix. Scrimmages are all situational. Some receivers run wrong routes. Bryce Young, I think, maybe threw a pick. It's hard to decipher. It's hard. You don't get anything out of Alabama scrimmages. It's really hard. But, you know, I mean, it, it, picks and scrimmages don't matter, especially if, if you're – if the defense knows that this is something that we're working on in the scrimmage, um, so I just think the top of the SEC is still going to be the top of the SEC. Texas A&M, Alabama, Georgia. Can LSU get things going? We'll see. But I mean, the, your same old guys are going to be there, and, and if you're an Alabama fan, you, I think you got a lot to be confident about.
0: Last question here for you before we let you get out of here. I, I saw this on Twitter earlier. Three Man Front on Twitter at Three Man Front. Earlier today, put up a poll question asking what games concern you, or what game concerns you the most as an Alabama fan. And the three that were put there as options were Florida, Texas A&M, and Auburn. And right now, it's overwhelmingly in favor of Texas A&M. But I want to ask you the same question on your schedule as an Alabama fan: which game scares you the most?
2: Yeah, to A&M at A&M. I know Alabama has lost the last two in Jordan Hair. Um, maybe some situations led to those poor quarterback play. I think 2017, a lot of injuries, 2019, but whatever. So, but I don't know, Texas A&M, this feels like a year that defense is going to be good. They're going to have, they're just, can they get the quarterback play? And if you're going on the road in front of a hundred thousand screaming Texas A&M fans and they have a quality quarterback and they're, I just think they're going to be tough to beat there so and i'm not alabama hasn't lost at texas a&m i'm not predicting a loss but to me that's going to be a little harder when you look at florida they were already horrible on defense last year kyle trask felt like he had a joe burrow type year how do they replicate that with emory jones we'll see but to me it's still texas a&m
0: jeremy i appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today tell everybody where they can keep up with you
2: yeah, find me on Twitter at INJ underscore Law. Check out the website, RadioAlabamaSports.net. Thanks, guys.
0: Appreciate it, my man. That was Jeremy Law of RadioAlabamaSports.net on the line with us. Talk a little bit about Alabama football and what's going on with them through fall camp up to this point. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we will wrap up the show, and I think we'll answer that question that we asked Jeremy there just a moment just a moment ago. What game should Alabama fans be concerned about the most on their schedule? Last segment of the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Big thank you there to Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports for joining us in that previous segment justin ferguson in the first hour of the auburn observer as well as our couple of callers that have called in today we had jr call in and we had gray call in i'm not i'm not forgetting anybody else am i i think i think that
1: was all of our callers today right yeah i think so
0: i want to make sure i give all the love out there and if i am having just a a lapse if i'm having you know just one of those moments or i'm just forgetting it we appreciate your call as well so a solid day today here on the tuesday edition of on the line and please call back we want your calls 334-321-1390 is that number to call on the text line at 334-564-1840 let's take a listen to what's on tv tonight before we get out of here looking at seven on nbc you got the second quarterfinals of america's got talent also at seven but on fox like i said earlier i have no idea how this is going to work but apparently on lego masters they are attempting to build their own puppet out of legos some movie selections for tonight Grown Ups is on bbc at seven you've also got the natural on fs1 at 6 30 great movie a little bit older of a movie but if you haven't seen it especially younger folks out there if you haven't seen a great baseball movie there the natural on fs1 at 6 30 the Martian will be on FX at seven. Getting into live sports. You got NBA Summer League Championship on ESPN at eight with the Boston Celtics against the Sacramento Kings. Little League Softball World Series is on ESPN two with a semifinal at six. And then the American Legion World Series baseball, that's on ESPNU with the championship game at five thirty. And that is what's on tonight. Lance, what's going to have your what's going to have your attention this evening?
1: Well, again, like I said uh, at the end of the first hour, I think I'm going to be watching that NBA uh, Summer League uh, Championship with Davion Mitchell. Going to be excited to see him play uh, for the Sacramento Kings.
0: I agree with that. It's going to be that that's that's probably the thing to watch tonight. If you're not getting into like sitcoms or The Naturals, also something else that I probably have my attention at six thirty. I'm continuing work into the evenings getting ready for the high school football season rolling around on thursday for the lee scott warriors against chambers academy a lot going on this week with high school football right around the corner auburn high tigers on wings 94-3 one of our sister stations that game friday against park crossing a lot of good stuff coming up in the high school football world to get excited about we got about four minutes left here in the show and i want to go back to the ap top 25 poll being released yesterday and some of those takeaways from that poll underrated overrated I briefly talked about USC for about 10 seconds before the end of hour number one I want to go back to that now as a team that very possibly overrated won't finish as high as 15 when the season concludes how do you feel about USC at 15
1: I you and I have talked about them during our uh, in on the fence or out segments that we've been doing and I think USC has the potential, potential to be a good football team but I agree with you. I don't necessarily know if I, I see them getting to 15th in the nation. Like you said before, we, we headed out during the first hour. 8-4 and four seems about where they should be, and that could be enough to win the Pac-12 South. Um, so I can definitely see them hitting an 8-4 and four mark. I just don't know if that's top 15 nationally.
0: I think they're a good team. They didn't really play a tough schedule last year. They only beat Arizona State, I think, by, like, one point. That was their lone good team that they really played in the regular season. And then they play Oregon in the Pac-12 title game, and they get smited. And Oregon was at, like, 500 going into that ball game, you know? So I don't know if I trust this USC team based off of what I saw last year. People just love Keaton Slovis and London Drake. And to be fair, those two guys are great offensive players. But I've seen great quarterback-wide receiver tandems be on football teams that are 8-4, 9-3 and USC's defense still don't know if they've taken the steps forward. Clay Helton still hasn't given me this elite confidence that USC is going to be just fine when it comes to some of these other teams that are probably a little bit more fundamentally sound, like Utah. Of course, Arizona State, before all this offseason drama occurred, I would have liked that team a lot with Jada Daniels at quarterback, but I wonder what role the offseason drama plays in Arizona State's football season, just like I wondered that with LSU and the SEC There's a couple of Pac-12 teams that I like a lot more than USC at this point. Oregon, Washington, like a lot of those teams more than USC right now. USC's probably fifth on that list of five ranked teams in the Pac-12. When I'm talking about who, if I was to rank those teams, I would say USC would probably be last on that list. But then again, off the field issues could hamper a team like Arizona State and some other squads, maybe not actually reaching where you think they're going to get as well. Like a Washington and Oregon where there are major questions about quarterback play. You kind of wonder if, they're, if they have better than middle-of-the-pack quarterback play in the Pac-12, whereas USC and Arizona State and Utah, they're going to have top-end quarterback play in the Pac-12 when it's all said and done.
1: You know, the Pac-12, I believe they're tied with both the Big Ten and the SEC in terms of how many teams they have ranked in the top 25. They are. I'm curious, Noah, who do you think comes out on top in the Pac-12? Because Oregon's dealing with quarterback issues, like you said, USC we're not necessarily high on. Who do you think takes the cake? I think you're looking at a Utah
0: Washington or Utah Oregon Pac twelve final. And at the moment I like Washington more than Oregon. I'm I think you're looking at a Utah Washington Pac-Twelve championship game. And that is going to be a gross football game that will probably finish like twenty four to twenty two or something like that. And we're gonna let it we're gonna let it be decided by a kicker. We're gonna let a soccer player, as Levi used to say, decide that football game. I like this Utah football team a lot. And people are always sleeping on Kyle Whittingham and the Utes. Here's the thing: they finally got quarterback play. Charlie Brewer is really good. And they're gonna have a good defense just like they did last year. They got a great offensive line. They're gonna have a great running game. They're a complete football team. As complete as it gets in Pac-12 play. I like this Utah group a lot. If not, Utah will go Washington. So those are my two. I'm not liking Oregon the USC as much as most people are. That's it for the Tuesday edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you tomorrow, same
4: time, same place. You know where to find us.